0: So we continue just a couple more sermons in this series, uh, give it up, and we're going to continue today with uh, reading from Matthew 16 in a, in a few moments as we, you know, the, the, the way that I began to, to frame it this week, or what are the things that that Jesus calls us to, uh, to leave behind? Jesus... Constantly calls people to leave things behind, and and in some ways we've called it giving up. We could have we, we could have framed it in the same way each week as far as we've talked about control and expectations and superiority and and last week enemies. I got to tell you, when I was driving to Tennessee this week, I saw a billboard in Georgia that said. In fact, it was last Sunday. It said, uh, "Real Christians love their enemies." And I thought I was pretty good because if you were here last week, you know that's exactly the challenge that, that we talked about. Uh, you know these things that we're called to let go because that's what Jesus does over and over. He he invites people, he invites us to let things go, to be his disciple. I mean that's the way it started in in the in the gospels when Jesus shows up on the the shore there of the Sea of Galilee and he calls Peter and James and John and he says, come and follow me and I will make you fishers of men. And the scripture says that immediately they left their nets and they followed him. They let go of something and they moved into a new reality, a new call. And and that that happens repeatedly when when Matthew is called to be a disciple, the tax collector. He's invited to leave behind a former way of life, which had some power, which had some um, financial security, but to come into and to experience uh, a new reality. And when he encounters a rich young ruler, he does the same thing. Sell all you have and and follow me. Leave that behind. And if you remember in that story, he couldn't do it. He had followed the commandments. He had followed the law. He had lived a, a good life, but he couldn't let that go. And that's what Jesus does. He sees those things in our lives that become our idols, that become our priorities, that become more important to us, and he invites us to let them go. Dietrich Bonhoeffer. Who, when he wrote *The Cost of Discipleship*, the German theologian uh, wrote that that discipleship can tolerate no conditions that come between Jesus and our obedience to Him. Discipleship can tolerate no conditions that come between Jesus and our obedience to him. And over and over, he calls us to obedience. And, and he gives us this image of the things in our lives that we need to let go of. And there's no place that that's more powerfully condensed and more clear and more difficult than it is right here in Matthew 16. So let's turn to Matthew 16, verses um, 24 through 27. Not, not a lot of verses, but, but Jesus kind of, he doesn't he mince words here. He's very clear and very concise of what it means to be a disciple. And this is what he writes. He said, then, or this is what we read. Then Jesus said to his disciples, whoever wants to be my my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it and whoever loses their life for me will find it. What good will it be for someone to gain the whole world yet forfeit their soul? Or, what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? For the Son of Man is going to come in his Father's glory with his angels, and then he will reward each person according to what they have done. Friends and sisters, this is the word of God for the people of God. Be to God. Let us pray. Lord, that we would hear your word, your challenge, your invitation, your call upon our lives, and, and respond in obedience, respond in faithfulness to the invitation you give us in Christ. We pray in your holy name. Amen amen. So again, Jesus is really, really clear here. You know, as I quoted that Bonhoeffer quote, that there can be no conditions, that discipleship can tolerate no conditions that come between Jesus and our obedience to him. That we don't come to discipleship with the ability to put contingencies on it. That's what we like to do. I mean, I like to do that. Yeah, Jesus, I'll follow you, but please don't ask me to do this. Yeah, Jesus, I'll follow you, but how about I get to do it this way? You know, I get to, this is where, this is where I'd like to serve. This is what I'd like to do. This is what, what I'd like discipleship to look like. If, if you could just follow my lead, that would be great. You know, and, and that's not discipleship. And that's what Jesus makes clear over and over again. And he does it in encounters with people. In fact, in Luke chapter 9, there's that, there's that encounter that Jesus has with, with these would-be disciples. And one says, well, I'll be a disciple, but first let me go and, and let me bury my father. Which sounds reasonable. And Jesus says, no, let the dead bury the dead. Now, there's nuance going on here. His father hasn't died yet. That's what you need to understand. He's basically saying, let this play out, and then I'll come be your disciple. You know, my father, when he dies, then I'll come follow you. But until then, let me just wait. And, and the one who says, um, you know, let me go say goodbye to my family. Let me kind of have this. And Jesus says, nobody who puts their hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. And what he's really trying to make clear is we don't come to discipleship with the ability to place the conditions on what that looks like. We don't get to say this is what we want it to be. But we respond in full obedience to Christ's call upon our lives. And that demands a lot of us. That comes with expectations. And Jesus gets right to the point here. And and he uses this image that we talk a lot about. He says, if you're going to be my disciple, you must take up your cross. And and we tend, in in our society, because we don't, um, most of us will never be asked to give up our life for our faith. We're not in that kind of a situation. So we water that down a little bit. And we talk about this image, well, that's my cross to carry. You know, oh, that this relationship, this person that's real difficult in my life, that's my cross to carry. Or, or this, this obstacle I have, that's my cross to carry. Okay, those can be challenges and difficult things in our lives, but the cross meant one thing. It meant death. That's exactly what it meant. And the listeners, Jesus would know exactly what he meant. To take up your cross was to take up the, the means of Roman execution, And they would have been very familiar with it. The Romans crucified in the thousands. Prior to to the life of Christ, there was one episode where religious leaders and Jews were crucified by the thousands, and their bodies would be, and the crosses would be lined up on the way into Jerusalem so that everybody coming into Jerusalem would know, don't cross us. No pun intended. Um, don't, Don't act up. So to take up your cross meant a willingness to lay down everything, even to the point of death. And for thousands of years since the life of Christ, Christians have done that. It started with Stephen in Acts chapter 7, when Stephen was stoned for his faith, the first of the Christian martyrs. And in doing so, he modeled Jesus, even in praying for his persecutors. Eleven of the twelve disciples that would all be killed for their faith and throughout Christian history, there were those are those who knew exactly what it meant to be willing to lay it all down, to take up the cross. John Hus was a, a, Czechoslovakian, was a priest in Czechoslovakia in the 15th century. And he dared speak out against what he saw as abuses to, in the church, unfaithfulness in the church. And for that, he was martyred. He said, I will speak out even if it's going to cost me my life because I believe that's what Christ has called me to. And a century later, in the 16th century, there was a scholar by the name of William Tyndale. That name might be familiar because of a publishing house. William Tyndale, who, was, who spoke seven languages and was fluent in, in reading and translating Greek and Hebrew. And he had this really novel idea. He had this really out there idea. He thought, you know, how cool would it be if people could actually read the scriptures in their own language? Because up until that time, it was either in the Greek or the Hebrew or the Latin. You didn't translate it. And so he thought, well, how, why don't we translate it in English? And they wouldn't let him do it. And the church said no. And you know what? He did it anyway. And he translated the first translations of the English Bible. And for that, he was executed in 1536. But he knew what he was called, and he was passionate about this that he believed was Jesus' call upon his life. And the church is filled with these stories, and they go on. In fact, Bonhoeffer, who I quoted from, who I've quoted from before, was killed in a German concentration camp because he dared stand up to Hitler. And missionaries, even to this day, brothers and sisters in parts of the world that we live in, that understand fully what Jesus means when he says take up the cross. They understand that to claim Christianity, to follow Jesus, can cost them their lives. I had the privilege of meeting some of those kind of Christians when I was in China, and they're in North Korea, and they're in the Middle East, who know exactly what it means to say, I will follow Jesus regardless of the cost. There will be no condition I will place on discipleship. I will go even if it means my life. I will take up my cross. They knew what that meant, and they have followed that. And for them, for each of us, they become our inspiration and our um, model of faithfulness and obedience. Tertullian said that the church is built or grows out of the seeds of the martyrs, those who are willing to, to be that kind of a witness for us. They knew what it meant when Jesus says, take up your cross, no conditions that come between faithfulness And discipleship but that's not our reality that's that's not our reality thankfully I don't say that with any sense of regret I don't know that any of us and I hope none of us will ever be asked to to lay down our life our faith I I hope none of us ever face that kind of a decision I don't want to face that so so the challenge becomes what does this mean for us for those of us that live in a country where we can worship freely. For those of us that live here where, where we're not facing the kind of persecution that causes us to have to lay down our lives. So what does this mean for us? And, and I think this, this scripture speaks no less powerfully to our realities and to the challenges and the call upon us. What it means as Americans. What it means for us to follow Jesus and to claim faith in Christ. And so let's look at the three things that Jesus invites us to, all of his followers invites us to. And the first is this. He says, deny yourself. Deny yourself. This is the call upon Christ, the call of Christ on our lives that becomes modeled after the very example of Christ. And that is that we refuse to make ourselves the center of our universe. You see, our human tendency, our, our instinct is to look out for number one, right? To, to, to behave in such a way that, that we look to, to make, uh, to act and behave in such a way that it benefits us. But Jesus gives us a different example and calls us to another way of life. He over and over models for us a life of service, a life of sacrifice, a life that says, I will value the other even ahead of myself. In fact, that's what Paul says, is the humility of Christ that we're called to clothe ourselves in, in Philippians 2. And so in Christ, we're invited to a different model that says in the center of our universe is Jesus. But faith in Jesus is lived out in the way that we serve others, So it's Jesus, and I've heard the acronym before, joy. It's Jesus, others, and yourself. And so he wants to turn that around. Take yourself out of the center. And and when we learn to love Jesus, we learn to put the needs of others above ourselves. We begin to deny that inherent um, instinct that says, I want to take care of number one and we look to take care of others as we serve Jesus. Remember, Jesus gave that example. When you've done it for the least of these, you've done it for me. And so love becomes the catalyst that propels us forward to serve others. And sometimes this comes very naturally for us because when love is at the center of a relationship, we do this instinctively. We don't have to think about it. Now, I shared with you that... Um, and, and some of you had already known that, that last week, Ryan had um, an emergency appendectomy. Now, let me tell you what was going on. Sunday morning, last Sunday morning at 5 a.m., when I got up, Ryan called, which is never good. And, and he said, he said, Dad, I said, you know, I've got pains in my stomach in fact I had talked to Kim about it and he was having some pain and we went through we did what you do you google you go and I and I pulled up because my immediate thought was could it be an appendicitis and so we pulled all the symptoms of an appendicitis and nothing was matching up and I thought good we're fine it's not that so being the, the smart guy of the name I said why don't you hang out a few hours and then go to the urgent care so as we're in the first service he goes to urgent care urgent care immediately sends him to the emergency room so as the services are playing out, Tony is on the phone and we're trying to communicate in between services. Long story short, as soon as we got out of the 11 o'clock service, it became clear that he was having surgery, like within the next few hours. So what does is, what is a relationship built on love say? It says that it doesn't matter what it takes, one of us is getting there. His mom and one of us were going. And because my schedule is more flexible than Tony's as a teacher, I went and so on the day that we lost an hour sleep <laughs> I packed a bag as soon as the 11 o'clock service was over and I hit the road and I pulled. I left about one o'clock and pulled into the hospital parking lot what would have been about midnight our time now do I say that to pat myself on the back no I don't because you do it you would do it that's that's not that's not me living some example of, of sacrificial love that isn't inherent in, in all of you. Because when you love somebody, when love is the defining characteristic of a relationship, you will do what it takes to put their needs above yourself, even if it means driving 12 hours on four hours sleep. And, and let me tell you, let me tell you how far love went with this thing. <laughs> I got up there, they, they released him that night. He didn't even stay overnight. Can you believe that nonsense? Um, And so I got a hotel, and so Ryan went with me to the hotel, and so for a couple days he rested, and on Wednesday, uh, he was like, I think I feel good to go back to class. Well, here's the thing. I wasn't supposed to lift anything over 20 pounds. And his backpack weighs, I'd guess about 300. Um, (laughs) Sucker's so heavy and stuff. So, So this is what I did. So I carried his books to class for him for two days, like his pack mule. And I wish you could have seen it, because it had to be a sight. I'm coming out of his dorm, and um, I have his backpack on, and I have my bag, because when he was in class, I was trying to be productive. And I've got his guitar. So I've got a backpack, a bag, and a guitar, and he's got his hands in his pockets. Walking next to me. (laughs) I looked at him, I said, you better enjoy this, son, because uh, I'm going to remind you this someday. And, and he was appreciative of that. And I say that, thing <coughs> cheek. but again, when love becomes the defining characteristic of a relationship, it's, a, it's, it's, an, it's instinctual. You don't have to think about that. And again, y- you do it. I remember when, and, and other people do it for us, when, when Tony and I, when I was in seminary, our first pregnancy ended in a miscarriage. And we were devastated. And I remember, I remember, I, we, you know, we went home and, and, you know, were grieving, and about a day after, you know, we'd gotten the news, we got a knock at the door and Tony opens it up and it's her mom who had driven all the way up to Carolina to be there for her daughter and for, for me. So, so again, we, we do this. You do this. What well, Jesus says, with, with life in me, with love as the defining characteristic of your relationship with me, you instinctively put others first. And not just, like we talked about last week, not just the people that love you, not just the people that, that you're related to, but we, we strive to put the needs of others above ourselves. That's what it means to deny yourself to become like Christ in that humility and that willingness to put others first. So, that's the first invitation, deny yourself. The second is this, take up your cross. We talked about this. And I don't want to ever water that down, but what does that mean for us? And this is, as I reflected and prayed over this, this is what I believe that it means for us. It means for us a willingness to declare ourselves, to be vocal and and transparent as to who we are and whose we are. To take up your cross becomes a very outward and a visible sign of your faith and your willingness to proclaim Jesus, to talk about Jesus, to share Jesus, and to do it unapologetically to take up your cross becomes a very visible sign of your faith. And I think too many of us are secret disciples. We're just too quiet about it. And we need to stop hiding Jesus. We need to be willing to share our faith. We do it respectfully. We do it graciously. I'm not talking about pounding people over the head with the Bible. But we need to declare who we are and whose we are. Take up your cross. Do people know you are a follower of Jesus? Penn Gillette is the magician, the one half of Penn and Teller. And uh, he's an atheist. I don't know how many of you are familiar with him, but he's, he's an atheist. But, uh, but he says something that's very challenging as an atheist. He says, I have no respect for, for Christians who don't proselytize, who don't share their faith. He's like, how much, and this is his, how much do you have to hate somebody? How much do you have to hate somebody to believe that you know the way to eternal life and not tell them about it? That's an atheist saying that he has no respect for Christians who don't share their faith. We are called to declare ourselves. When I was in college, there was a guy who used to walk around Lakeland and uh, he'd walk around carrying a big cross, just huge cross. And uh, it was odd and I'm I'm not necessarily saying that's what you need to do, but he was very clear about who he was. One night we were having a fraternity party on campus, uh, on the lawn there, on the college campus, and uh, he walked up with his big cross, and I went, "Uh uh-oh, this is not going to go well, but it did go well, and he was very gracious, and he was very nice, and people were very respectful, which is what I was worried about, but it was his way, again, it was just his way of being very clear about who he was. Now again, I'm not telling you you need to go build a big cross and lug it around. But do have you declared yourself? Are you open and transparent about who you are and the faith that you proclaim? Another example, which I thought was a wonderful way to do it. When, when I was walking around campus with Ryan, uh, there's a, a main quad there as a lot of campuses have. And there was a guy, we came out and uh, Ryan pointed him out to me. And because he, he's there all the time, apparently. He's an older fella. And he has a sign there on this that just says, um, ask me about Jesus. And he doesn't yell. He doesn't scream at the kids. He's not bullhorn guy. He's not condemning them. Under, he just stands there with a sign and invites people to engage a conversation. Now, I don't know anything about what kind of faith he's professing or the the specifics of what because there was a crowd around him when I came out so I didn't even get a chance to talk to him and we were on the way to class but again he 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 was living out what he believed his call to declare himself and to share Jesus and he did it in a way that I thought was very very cool he didn't yell didn't scream didn't condemn he just invited people to come and talk to him how do you declare yourself? That, that's my point. As you and I are called to, to follow Jesus and, and knowing that taking up our cross is not probably going to mean for any of us what it meant for Jesus and those first followers. How do you declare yourself? How are you clear about who you are and whose you are? So deny, take. And then the last invitation is the one that we hear often. Follow. He says, follow me. Because here's the thing. Once we have been willing to, to make love the, the center of our relationship, love of Christ and love of others, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. There's the, the, the law and the prophets summed up. Once we're, we're willing to do that, to deny ourselves, once we're willing to declare ourselves as followers of Jesus and be open about who we are and whose we are, then the final piece is a willingness to go where he leads us, to, to respond in, in obedience, to go into the world and to make disciples. Matthew 28, 20, that's the call. To take our faith out of here when we walk when we walk out the doors and to go into the mission field that we have been called. That's the invitation Jesus gives to deny, to take, and to follow. What we need to learn to let go of is this idea that we are the dictators of our lives. When we say letting go of our lives is letting go of this idea that we are the final authority, that we are going to let anything come between us and our faithfulness to Christ. And that's hard to do. I'm not, making, I'm not trying to make this sound easy, but it's obedience. Letting go of anything that comes between us and Jesus. That's what letting go of our lives. And we're going to talk about on Easter, the last sermon in this series, why this matters and what Jesus invites us to that is so much greater than anything this world can give. Why, it's, why, we would, why anybody would willingly lay down their lives for Christ it's because of that promise that we have through faith and that gift of life that we have. But our invitation, our challenge, is to not let anything come between us and our obedience. Yesterday was St. Patrick's Day. I, I think everybody knows that. I know some of you um, celebrated it. I saw some of the pictures. Um, some of you probably need to come to the altar and pray um, this morning. Um, <laughs> But I don't know how many of you know the story of Saint Patrick. I mean, well, we always, you know, this, we all wear green, or everybody puts on green, and some people go out and, and celebrate Saint Patrick's Day in in a number of ways, and they dye the, the rivers green, and they serve green beer at places, and they do all these things associated with it. But but before all of that silliness, I don't know how many of you know the story of Saint Patrick? He, as a young boy was taken into slavery 16 years old and he was taken to Ireland and he was a slave for six years in Ireland and he finally this was in uh, the early fifth century he finally uh, escaped and he made his way To Britain, where he entered the priesthood or started to study to become a priest because he believed it was God who had freed him. He gave all glory to God. And so he wanted to serve and follow God. And as he's preparing for the priesthood, he kept hearing the voice of God. What he attributed to the voice of God are these voices that said, O young man, come back and walk amongst us again. And he heard that as a call to go back to Ireland, the place that he had once been enslaved. And so he did. But he didn't go back for retribution. He went back to serve and to share Jesus. And that's what he did. And he established a number of of monasteries and churches and he traveled Ireland praying for the people. And he went back to offer them Jesus. He denied himself. He took up his cross because he didn't know what it would cost him. And he followed exactly where he believed Christ was leading him. And this is the prayer attributed to St. Patrick. That's what it says. Christ be with me. Christ before me. Christ behind me. Christ in the heart of everyone who thinks of me. Christ in the mouth of everyone who speaks of me. Christ in every eye that sees me. Christ in every ear that hears me. He embodied deny, take, and follow. That's our invitation. That's our invitation. To let go of those conditions that come between us and faithfulness. Deny, take, and follow. Amen? Amen. Friends, let's pray. Gracious Lord, we would pray that you would challenge us to live into that. Uh, It is difficult. But Christ calls us to something beyond ourselves. And that invites us to let go of those those realities in our lives that would come between our faithfulness, that would come in between our obedience. Help us to let go of those things, to follow where you would lead, and to respond in complete submission to your call upon our lives. We pray in Christ's holy name. Amen. Amen. Amen.